Welcome to The Catch. A place where people can share their stories of how they were caught to be set free. Where each story points to the big story. The message of the cross. Hey everybody, welcome to The Catch. My name's Cheryl. My name is Ryan, and today we have Trey Brinson. How you doing, Trey? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Hey, good, man. Good. Me and you, we've been friends for a while. And uh, every time we talk on the phone, it seems like you're at Chick-fil-A. That's true. How does it feel being an ambassador for Chick-fil-A? How does that feel? It, it feels good, man. I'm loaded with gift cards. I don't have to pay anymore. So, um, so what do you get on the menu? Like, what's your go-to at Chick-fil-A? Number one, no pickles, American cheese, fries, and half and half, sweet tea and sweet tea. I don't think That's I've ordered tea. a normal sandwich from Chick-fil-A. Um, in the past, like since they put spicy chicken sandwich on the menu year round, I will send you a chicken sandwich. I have not, I'm, I'm dead serious. I have not tried a regular, well, it's been years. Yeah. I used to get nuggets before yeah, then. I yeah. I used to get nuggets before then. And then that's you went to Popeye's. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, spicy chicken sandwich. I'm there, man. I'm there. Yeah. So, Trey, you've been in uh, North Carolina the past couple of years uh, up there in Wake Forest, and, and now you're back in Georgia. Um, how's that transition been for you, being the pastor now at Eagles Landing First Baptist? We love it. Um, you know, we were in Valdosta for the beginning of our marriage for about four, I guess, four or five years. You know, oh, yeah. going back to Raleigh, that's her home. So she's from the Raleigh-Durham area. And um, but. Both of us would say this is home. We love it. We, we're glad to be back for sure. I know you played a big role in Ryan's life. Yeah. About Austin. I, I kept him out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Trey was the chaplain at Valdosta State while I was there. And uh, we were friends before because Trey's from Warner Robins. But before, you know, I didn't know much about FCA. Wednesdays uh, would be packed, man. You know, you'll have like 200 and something students showing up just to worship God. And that was that was awesome. And your impact really made a change down there. So we appreciate that, man. Well, thanks. But I, I know your mama. So <laughs> <laughs> All right. don't forget, I grew up playing ball with your brother, but I was probably closest to your sister. And then right. you and I became part closer through that right, time in Dallas, right. for sure. You kind of went through all three of us in different <laughs> stages. What's real cool is my life was influenced a lot by your dad. And then I got the opportunity to influence yours. So that's cool. Yeah. Hey, man, it keeps that's on rolling, man. That's and right, hopefully man. this podcast is there to influence somebody else. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, one of the things that we like to ask on the podcast is, how was your upbringing? Were you always a Jesus follower? Can you tell us a little bit more about how you grew up and... How was that like? Yeah, sure. I, I wasn't raised in the church. Um, I would go to a Methodist church in Centerville, uh, Georgia, probably every Easter, Christmas season. Uh, but my family was divided. Um, in fourth grade, my mom and my dad divorced. Um, so really, ever since I've been born, all I saw was hostility between my mom and dad. And um, so them divorcing was a good thing, uh, quite frankly, because I as a child, I would bury my head under my pillow almost every single night, listening to screaming and arguing, and it was just tire, tiresome. Uh, but to give you a little bit of a, a clear picture of that, even when they did divorce, I felt like my dad held me hostage, like he would use me. Um, if I would go see my mom, he would take out his anger on my mom for me going to see him. So it really affected my mom and I's relationship, I think, a little bit. 
Um, my sister would live with him. I lived with my dad. Uh, he was a manic depressant alcoholic. I don't know if it was ever really diagnosed as it, um, but surely every time he drank, um, he became a different person. And uh, there were things that, uh, just to kind of give you a clear picture uh, that, that I saw that a lot of people don't even realize, but things such as um, burning, literally everything my mom had, every car she had, she, she worked with General Mills and Betty Crocker, so she got a company car, but every two years, whenever they cycled those through, uh, I can't tell you one car that didn't have key scratches on the windows and all down the, the paint of the car. Um, but that's, that was just him. Um, he was, when he got alcohol in the system, he raged. My mom didn't really know how to handle finances. So that provoked some of it. And, uh, yes, I grew up thinking that them being divorced was the best situation for me. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely wasn't raised in the church. When we were thinking about people to call, we automatically both thought about Trey and um thought about you and we were just like i wonder what his story is because we really don't know and then when you kind of gave ryan a little tidbit before this interview we were both kind of shocked and stunned like we never would have guessed you know that your story is what it is and i think that so many people think that these pastors or these christians or whatever that they have these perfect lives and that they've always grown up in the church and it just is a great testimony for others who are struggling right now oh yeah to see where you came from and where you are now having a rough childhood growing up not really knowing jesus and and it started tapping you on the shoulder like i'm I'm right here you know like your father's right here with you when did that start to happen yeah really for me i didn't as far as the church world goes, I didn't, I wasn't really introduced to it. So I didn't know a whole lot about it. I just thought this was how life was and mine was less than everybody else's. And I, I feel like a lot of people think that, like they compare themselves to the people around them. And like Cheryl just said, you don't see those things that happen in people's lives. All you see is the mask a lot of times that they wear in front of others. So I didn't know any better. Um, but don't get me wrong. Like I never doubted the sincerity of my parents' love for me. Like that was undeniable. Um, they would do anything for their kids. They were so good to us. The thing was their resentment towards each other. And, um, of course we, as kids, we didn't know what all that was rooted in, but we just knew what, what we saw. And I mean, I think all of us would say it was a, like, I can't tell you how many times I slept at my grandparents' house or in a hotel room because my mom was trying to flee my dad. Like I just, I can't even count on, you know, all my digits. How many times that happened? Um, So I think it was around my seventh grade year in middle school, my sister started going to church. She had a crush on a guy named Brian Musselwhite, who was uh, no longer around. She had a crush on him, started going to church. And I went with her uh, to, she provoked me to go with her, like she wouldn't shut up unless I did. So I finally went with her. And um, and Ben Hunley, actually, this was the year or, or year after Myself and your brother played on, I think, a team called the Express with the rec department. We were white. Coaches. Oh, yeah. Yep. And um, so Ben Hundley played on that team with us. I think Coach Van Harrington actually coached us. And Ben was in that youth group. So I knew somebody. And Ben was a good athlete. So I felt like, man, I'll start going to this church. And I sort of started checking it out. 
And I really didn't get the concepts. I, I heard the gospel and things like that, but I, I really didn't latch on to it. It wasn't until the eighth grade um, when I was at Simpson Park there in Warner Robins. Um, my dad was my baseball coach, and uh, I made a couple errors at shortstop that day. And, of course, he, he let me have it, attitude, uh, which, by the way, on the north side of town, I think I was known in my early days as the kid with the because my anger and resentment that I had towards what I saw at home out on the ball field, uh, mm-hmm. stripping off jerseys and like mid game, stripping off jerseys and sitting on the fence wow. and just saying, I- I'm done. Um, and I hate to put that on my parents. I think for me, it was just the way that I responded. But when my dad yelled at me, I yelled back. And uh, of course, called timeout, pulled me off the field, put me in a headlock and reared back his fist. That's the first time that's ever happened. He did not hit me, but the words that came out of his mouth were probably more powerful than any punch could have been. He said, you will no longer live with me. You're your mom's problem. Mm. So for me, that was devastating. And uh, I, I literally went to my mom's house that night. And before I got in the shower, uh, I was crying. And I said, you know, Lord, why is this happening to me? Like, it feels like my whole world is crumbling. And, and I think for me, my dad was the last straw. And uh, that night, I sat at my mom's kitchen table. They were already in bed. It was probably about 1231 in the morning. And my sister was walking through a study called Experiencing God. And that Bible study book and her Bible were in the middle of the table. So I just pulled it over and started looking at it. And in the first chapter there, it talks about, this is whatever translation it was that her Bible was. It says something to the effect of, if you neglect the great salvation, you'll be punished. Now, that could have been out of context, but the way I read it was, oh, this is why this is why you're being punished. This is why your world's crashing down because you're neglecting God's salvation. Uh, so I don't really know what to say or what to do, but I knew, I knew that my life was a wreck and the only hope I had was Jesus. So at that moment, I prayed and just said, Lord, I don't know what this looks like. I don't even know how to do this, but, but I'm yours. So take it from here. And the next, the only thing I knew to do, that was a Saturday night. The only thing I knew to do the next day was go to that church, tell that youth pastor. And then I started to grow after that. So that's kind of how I started transitioning to the, to the church world or to, to Christ at large. Yeah. I know that one of the questions that we like to ask is, are there any influential people in your life that kind of help plant that seed or lead you towards Jesus? And it sounds like your sister might've played a, big role in that. Um, yeah. Is there anybody else that you can think of? Yeah. My sister's probably the most significant one. She, uh, I mean, when she came to Christ, she would literally share Christ with a tree and expect it to respond. Jerome mm-hmm. Stevens, um, my best friend growing up was JJ, uh, which is why Larry and I actually were close because she and JJ knew each other so well. Anyway, but we, we, we share backyards essentially and um, we did the ball thing together. We traveled together. We did life together all the time. But Jerome loved Jesus. Like we used to make fun of him because we'd be in the back of the truck and everywhere we would go, he was, he was preaching to a steering wheel. And we we're like, man, you're the only person I know that preaches to a steering wheel. And, uh, and he does it with passion. So I, at that point in my life, it was comical, to be honest, but he never quit trying to influence me spiritually never quit uh 
literally, I just preached a funeral on Robbins and he came up to me afterwards and he said, isn't it weird that I'm asking you that when it's my turn to go, that you do my funeral. Like that was so cool for me. Cause I was like, wow, you, you are the influential person in my life. And, uh, and here you are responding in that way. But, mm. uh, of course, JJ, um, has passed away and I got to, to do a lot of that, that funeral, but all that to say that, uh, Jerome is definitely influential. There was another lady, um, a friend of mine, his name is Lane Helwig. His mom was Tony. Tony, she was really influential. What's funny is uh, Blaine and I were considered wild children at that time. And she was um, very persistent in praying. She never really said anything to us, but she always let us know she was praying for us. So to this day, I remember vividly her, her letting us know constantly, I'm praying for you. And, and I didn't, again, I didn't know the significance of that then, but looking back, I'm like, man, God could have spared me from a lot just because of the prayers of, of this one righteous woman. So awesome. How did your life change after you accepted Jesus? Yeah, I came to Christ around the eighth or ninth grade. It was really the summer between the eighth and ninth grade. <clears throat> so going into high school, Ryan, you know about this as an athlete, you kind of go into high school with these high expectations and right. you're trying to, you know, you're following your brother who had a fantastic athletic career. I was following my, my, my dad is a single season record holder in basketball at Northside High. Uh, mm. or the, sorry, the, uh, he had scored the most points in the game, um, in basketball. So there was some high expectations. Plus I had some cousins that went through going into that. So I felt like I had to, to live for people's approval rather than follow God faithfully, if I'm honest. Um, it was hard. It was this tension. I want to follow Jesus and I'm trying to live for him. But at the same time, I want, I want, I want to be popular and I want the approval of man and I want them to accept me as a ninth grader and things of that nature. So I, I was in that tension. Um, but on one hand, you know, because of what you know that happened in my home life, all we knew, all my sister and I knew to do was to pray and to start asking God to work in my mom and my dad. Uh, and I will tell you, in my ninth grade year, my mom came to know Jesus. And then in my 11th grade year, my dad did. And then mm -hmm. between my 11th and 12th grade year, my mom and dad remarried each other. Okay. So God literally brought my family full circle um, after Christ. It was hard for me as a student or as a, as a teenager to deny the obvious. And that was that the only thing that changed in our lives was not our behaviors, not us trying hard for counseling. The only thing that we did differently is we surrendered our lives to Christ. And when we did that, he started to work out everything else. That's not everybody's story. I totally understand that. Um, but that's what he did an hour. So when I go on after high school and college, honestly, ball just became a job. It became a duty. And simultaneously, I recognized what Christ had done in my life. So I started to realize my passions were being replaced. Man, I'm starting to fall deeper in love with the Lord. And that's what I want to talk about. And that's what I want to do. And it's not that I, I love ball less. It was just, I mean, you played college athletics. It was just, um, oh, yeah. It, it was more of a job than it was. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It can be. Enjoyed. I mean, you were reprimanded for having too much fun on the field. You know, I mean, that, right. that's just, that's just how college life is. So for me, that that's where it all started. 
I didn't understand it. Um, <clears throat> I never really thought of myself as doing ministry per se. Uh, in fact, if you would have told people in Robbins that that was the trajectory of my life, they would have told you you're foolish. Mm -hmm. But I think it was around um, my sophomore year in college. I was at Georgia College. My sophomore year there, uh, my sister was married for three years, and she she was no my bad. She was I don't know how long she was married, but she was three months pregnant for with her first child. And we got the phone call. I picked up the phone. We got the phone call that her husband was just killed in a car wreck. And um, it was through that event of him, and he was a devout believer. Um, and it was through that event that the Lord started to call me. It, I started to realize, man, he lived his life for something that was more significant and meaningful than what I'm living my life for. And these are eternal things. These are temporal things. These things are going to last forever. These things are going to stay here when we go. And at that point, I started feeling like the Lord was calling me into something higher, which ultimately was ministry. Now, I moved back in with my sister. She moved from Carrollton back to Warner Robins, and I moved from George College to Warner Robins to help her through her first year with her child. And I will say those were some of the most spiritually formative years of my life because, one, she she was, uh, like I told you, she she followed Jesus in every aspect of her life. But then secondly, there was no dad in the picture. So I had to fill the gap with Libby in many ways to help her um, with that. So mm -hmm. the hardest thing for me having to do was having to leave that and move to Wake Forest when, when I had to go to seminary. Mm -hmm. um, merely because, you know, I, I played that role for, for Libby, but I think it was, it was what God wanted. That yeah. is man. just amazing. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But, I know all that. Yeah. That's man. And, and you know, uh, something a lot of people don't know either that I'll share with you is my, my Bible that I had after God called me into ministry, uh, on the very front page, you know, there's like a white page or whatever, it's just blank. On that page, I had put basically the first sermons that I ever preached. One of them was a devotion to like Northside High School's baseball team. Okay. But then the next six are JJ's funeral, my granddad's funeral, my other granddad's funeral, my brother, you know, and it's just like funeral, mm. funeral, 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 funeral. And, uh, and to be honest with you, <clears throat> at that point in my life, I was like, man, I, I, don't, I don't know. I didn't sign up for this. I, I certainly don't want to do this. Um, it wasn't preaching funerals was not rewarding to me, I guess is a better way of saying it. Um, but at the same time, it, man, it molds you and shapes you. You got to grow up fast, I guess is the best way of saying it. And I think the athletic side of us, me was like, man, I, I'll accept that challenge and try to try to grow up fast. Um, but it has ministry has been so rewarding now. Like it's not all funerals by any stretch of imagination, but yeah. right. It's been good. I know that one of the couples that we look up to a lot is you and your wife, Kayla. And I just know that the importance of marriage and just seeing a godly marriage was great for Ryan to see when he was in college and it's something he was aspiring for. And so we got married right after we graduated from college. But we just kind of want to know a little bit more about Kayla and how you met her and how that's played a role in your Christian walk. And I know that y'all have grown so much together spiritually. Yeah. I was a college pastor in Durham at a church there, and uh, one of my students was her roommate. So she came to she came to our college class one Sunday morning 
with her roommate, and that's how we originally met. Um, when I first met Kayla, uh, I was not going there. She she was crazy. Uh, <laughs> she, she would say it. She would sit right here beside me. <laughs> we were friends for about three years. Um, I got to she, – she went to a Campus Crusade event on NC State's campus. That's where she went to school. And uh, it was at that event that the speaker um, had said something, and it triggered in her – She's she's done with the life she was living. She wants to follow the Lord. Now she would say that she came to Christ and saw, you know, became a believer at the age of nine. She would also tell you that she was not discipled um, in the church. She really didn't know. She knew what not to do. She just didn't know why not to do it. Right. And I mean, I think that's a lot of you know people. Um, so in her words, she would say, "I kind of came back to Christ then and realized I'm tired of living for fleeting things." And um, and when she started to walk with God, man, she became like it, it like quadrupled my attraction to her. Like it was dang, she not, she's now went from a student to potential. So, right. Yeah. So things started to change quick. Um, but I will tell you, we uh, we had a we had a rough dating relationship, and it wasn't because of her um, or myself. It was because really the pressure that her parents put on us. There's a six year gap between Kayla and myself. Um, so when she was graduating college, um, well, when she was a senior in college is when we started to date. And I told her straightforward, you know, that I, I was just at a place in my life where I was like, man, dating isn't just for fun. Like I, I do want to pursue her for marriage. And I didn't have that conversation night one, you know, I didn't do that, but I think she knew that uh, this was something that would be more serious than what she had been in in the past if we decided to go that direction. And we prayed that through uh, before we did. And we felt like, you know, all the boxes checked. So we started to date one another. And during that season of her life, her parents noticed a lot of changes. And when I say changes, remember, she was living wildly like she really was two years prior. The only thing for her parents that changed is she started going to this church and now she's dating this guy. So a lot of those changes were not like not they didn't credit the Lord for them. They're they're putting them on me. Right. So they felt like I was changing her or controlling her or however you want to look at it. And that just simply wasn't true. They didn't really have a good uh, understanding of what her previous relationship looked like. I think they were rather naive to it. So one day we sat down with her parents and shared that story with them. And it, it was a game changer. I, I would say like this, even if Mike and Debbie, her parents were sitting here, uh, I've never been hated as much as I feel like they hated me. <laughs> but <laughs> but after that, I've never been loved as much as I feel like they loved me. Um, so it was just it was just I think for them, it was just trying to get a better understanding of what was really happening within their daughter's life. And they started to see that that the Lord had arrested her heart and had captivated her attention. And she was pursuing him now. And um I was just an added benefit, but Ryan can tell you one thing that we've said from the very beginning is that I'll always love the Lord more than I love Kayla, and she'll always reap the benefit of that. Right. Um, what that means is she doesn't have to feel insecure about me and my faithfulness because I'm going to be faithful to Jesus, and as a result of me being faithful to him, I'll be faithful to her. So she gets to walk in that security. And in her previous relationship, she was cheated on multiple times. So, you know, that was something that really haunted her. And um, and she's she's been able to bank on the promise that, man, my, my husband and 
Trey is going to to faithfully follow the Lord and I'll benefit as as a result of it. And the same thing's true for me. Man, Kayla has been my my greatest asset. She uh she pushes me to love the Lord more. She pushes me to to pursue Him daily. Um, I am I'm aggressive by by nature, and uh, she is so sweet spirited that it causes me not to be so aggressive and to be a little bit more tactful, I guess, in the way I say things or ask things. And um, yeah, so in every way, she has balanced me out to be a better believer and a better person in general. I guess kind of fast forwarding it, like after y'all get married and everything and just being around you guys down in Valdosta, you had your your first child down there and and, you know, just to see how y'all were with people, it was just love, man. Just watching y'all keep God first, you know, in your marriage and, and just being a good, you know, just role model, man. You know, we were college kids, but, you know, we could really see the love through you guys. So we appreciate that, man. Big time. No, thank you. I think people don't realize that uh, you guys taught us more than we feel like we taught y'all. Um, there's something about a college age student that is kind of opened his eyes to the world. And kind of for the first time forming their own identity and shaping who they're going to be apart from mom and dad that kind of thing mm-hmm. right. and we got to see so much of that like college the, the you guys about us the states the athletes were so hungry that it made us sit at home like man why don't we have the same drive that they have like they they're there's literally these students who are trying to figure this out and they're digging to figure it out and here we are, you know, just coasting through. So that's how we felt, which is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Ryan, I think you're right. Like we uh we we saw a lot of the uh the athletes of the issue as kind of like our kids. I hate saying it that way because they were big kids, but <laughs> um, especially Mesh and you know the guys that you played with. Those oh some yeah, boys. yeah, yeah. Them some huge men. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, Man, I should have called them boys. Um, <laughs> but they did. They they taught us a lot more. And and then the patience, like um, you know, when you get when you've got it, like you guys have, when you when you know the Lord and you're walking with Him, and then there's people that you genuinely love that are struggling. It's like you just want to shake them and say, "I just wish you would get it. Just wish right. you would, you know, just make sense." And the Lord had to teach us patience then to, to trust that he's sovereign. We're not that he's doing his work. It's not us doing ours. And just to trust that he was putting them on the, the path that he had them on and he was going to work out his plan in his due time and that his timing was more perfect than mine. Um, I think that was something we learned about us that uh, will we'll forever hold tight to our chest because it's easy. Even in the church world, you see. I mean, you know it. You grew up in it. You see all the time. Right. You're like, man, I just wish you would get it. And uh, but then at the same time, I was that kid. You know, I was that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that I'm sure yeah. my people in my church are like, I just was that kid would get it. He's, he's a mess. But uh, right. the FCA house that y'all had there really was a getaway from college, and it really felt like a home that you could go to. And it, it really was a safe place because college can get crazy. Uh, it mm-hmm. really can. Um, but, you know, it's not always crazy, but, you know, just to have a place where you can just sit down and just breathe and just know you're around other people that, you know, want what's best for you and and want to walk that walk. And, you know, you walk in and y'all are reading the Bible or having little Bible study, small groups like going throughout the day. Um, it really inspired us to be better. Do you know the story about the FCA house? Slightly, slightly. 
Yeah. Briefly, do you want me to tell it to you? Yeah, please do. So when we got there, we didn't know anybody in Valdosta, or I didn't. I had no clue. And I was trying to meet people, and uh, Brian Anderson played at Warner Robins. His dad coached at Warner Robins. Was the only person I knew, and he was a youth pastor at like some church there. Well, his father-in-law opened up a bedroom and just said, "Hey, why don't you come stay here?" Because Kayla and I weren't married yet. So he said, "Why don't you just come stay here, and uh, Kayla can come down and stay." And they, he had twin daughters in Brooks's room while, you know, when she comes to check things out or to help y'all find a house, whatever we're trying to do. And um, through that that time, I was with his name was Bubba Bubba Thomas. You know Bubba? Yeah. And Bubba was one of the chaplains or photographers or something of the football team. Yeah, yeah, he was a photographer. Yep. Man, and me and Bubba, yeah, me and Bubba would sit on his porch until the wee hours of the morning just talking about life. And uh, I literally felt like I was sitting with my granddad just talking about the Lord. And, you know, that's something I never really did. So that, that was a cool right. experience for me. And um, one night Bubba said, I need to talk to you. And I was like, oh, junk, I'm about to get kicked out. Like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I need so to talk no. to you. So I went on the porch. A little porch talk is what I called it. Had a little porch talk. And he said, God woke me up last night, and uh, there's something I got to do. I was like, what's that? He said, uh, so we own a house that some frat guys rented, and they demolished it. But it just sits there, sat there for three or four years. Nobody's touched it, lived in it, anything. But it's right across the street from the athletic field. And I feel like I feel like we need to give that to FCA for ministry. Mm. And um, I have to talk my, you know, I guess it was a family thing. He had to talk to his family. And he said, but, man, I can't shake it. I've been trying to shake this all day. And it's something I feel like we need to do. So uh, that's how that house came to fruition. Wow. So we got it, man. It was, it stunk. It, the mm. walls were awful. I mean, it was terrible. Mm. So we went on to Craigslist and five, found $5, five gallon buckets of paint. And we started to go in there and paint just Kayla and I, right? Nobody, <laughs> we didn't know about it. It was just me and Kayla. And, uh, right. and anyway, there was one night I even slept on the floor in the FCA house because wow. I was, I worked so late. I was like, man, I'm just going to stay here and I can go back. Anyway, um, one day we're painting, true story, and this guy comes up in like a, it wasn't a Bentley. I mean, it was like a Mercedes or something. It was a nice car. Right. He comes up, walks through the house, and I'm sitting there thinking, who's this guy? I have no clue who he is. And uh, he introduces himself, and he says, so what's your plans with, with the house? So I told him, we're going to do an FCA house. This is what we're thinking about doing. He said, why don't you walk me through and tell me what you want? So I'll, he asked me, how are you going to get this stuff? And I said, we're going to ask churches. You know, got old furniture, donate it. We need a couch. And right. uh, he said, walk me through it and tell me. So I walked him through every room and just kind of dreamed with him of what this could be. And uh, and he would throw out, he would be like, one of the things he I remember him specifically saying was, what if you had like some cubicles for like these athletes to do like study hall? Oh, that's a good idea. We can use cubicles. And uh, we walk on the porch. And um, on the back porch, you know, back porch here. And when we get back there, he said, uh, so I own a company called Ambling that builds university housing, that builds high-rise hotels in, like, Destin, Florida, et cetera. And he said, you're going to have an 18-wheeler next week pull Mm. up to the house, and it's going to deliver every single thing you just mentioned. 
bro. We had like brand Come new on, couches. Brand, I mean, you you saw it. Brand new. Yeah. You know, end tables, brand new coffee. Everything is brand new. <laughs> and then he said, don't worry about painting. I got a crew to come in and paint, and they're going to strip up the carpet and put some new carpet. Out. And I'm like, who is this dude? <laughs> so, so literally the Lord provided everything at FCF. Wow. So I try to tell people all the time, like, I'd be a fool to think that Kayla and I or even those who are part of FCA did anything because we didn't like the Lord just lined it all up. And when I got there, everything was done and it was just, you know, I wouldn't have known that. Um, You were, you were there for the landscaping part. Right. Yeah. For the landscaping. Yeah. Which was another God story. Like we were like, man, this yard looks tacky, looks terrible. And some guy from super saw was like, come in, I'll, I'll bulldoze it and redo the side Man. and put in an irrigation system. So we like. I'm okay. telling you, yeah, that place was like a yeah. It was a blessing, man. Yeah, that place really was a blessing. So Trey, if you could think of one thing that you would want to tell your younger self, or just our listeners out there right now, just a word of encouragement, what would that be? I think just where I am right now is that uh, we're living in an America that is completely divided. We know this. We have a pandemic over us. Um, just the cultural climate has been discouraging, depressing, a lot of discord. I feel like I feel like if I if I were younger, I would have handled this a lot differently than I am now. Now my hope is in Jesus. Like, and I know that He and His Word is the dividing wall of hostility. Like, it destroys all discord. It unites. So I think if if there was one thing I would say is really just to put your hope and trust in the Lord. Um, Ryan, I know you and I have a lot of these conversations because we talk to each other pretty openly. But who wins the next presidential election? Neither one of them are going to save us. Trump can't save us. Biden can't save us. And uh, no, no politics can. Um, so I don't want to put my hope there. I want to put my hope in Jesus and trust that he... Uh, is still on the throne, that he occupies not only the, the throne, but also the throne of my heart, and to live my life in a way that's completely surrendered to him. I'd also say there's no one that deserves my affection more than him, nobody. And I feel like the things of this world compete for our attention, our allegiance, and our affection. And those are the three big things that we have to make sure are completely surrendered to the Lord. And uh, if not, then we'll easily deviate away from the truth. And um, so I don't know if that would help a young person. I know for me right now, that's kind of where I've been resting, is knowing that those who know the name of the Lord shall put their trust in him. And for those who do that, he'll not forsake them. And uh, just remembering that uh, that he has all this under control. So I don't know if that's helpful, but. No, it is very no, that helpful. Is. Thank you, Trey. Well, we just yeah. want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day we know you're a busy pastor and you're now at a new church and doing a lot of new things but just to take the time out just to talk to us on the catch and we just want everyone to know the purpose of our podcast is for people to hear other people's stories and each story that's shared points to the big story which is the message of the cross and if you want to know more about the message of the cross we'll have links in the description below accepting jesus is easy we appreciate you joining in so uh thanks again trey for jumping on our podcast uh we appreciate it man thank y'all thanks for listening we love you guys peace